You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, uh, this morning turn to James chapter 2. We're going to continue our series. And uh, faith in action, putting that action into what we believe And not just being hearers of the word, but being doers as well. And so what we're going to see James move into in this section is he's going to give us some very specific direction in how we do that. How do we put our faith in action? What does that look like? And so we're going to see he's going to deal with favoritism this week. They're going to see where it's talking about reaching out and living your faith and actually touching people that are in need and then are controlling our tongue. And so some very practical, some very real areas of where we deal with in our lives. And so we're going to start out reading James verse one, two, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, my brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Now, I want to give you just a tiny bit of background on this on this thinking, on this verse here, because in the Roman culture where James was writing to, and also in the Jewish culture, favoritism wasn't necessarily discouraged. In fact, if you had power and wealth, it was expected for you to flaunt it. And there'd be a lot of pomp and circumstance about how important you were and your seating and all those things would be a very normal, expected process. And the weak were, were preyed upon by the strong and the powerful. And that was just the Roman culture. They, uh, in our worldview, we are shaped by our Christian worldview much more than we realize. You know, and we, we talk about humility and, you know, if you have great wealth, you shouldn't flaunt it, and, and all those things. Well, in the Roman culture, it's like, if you have it, you flaunt it. And you take advantage of those who don't have as much as you have. And so here comes James, and he's speaking into that culture, saying, okay, don't show favoritism. And in their minds, it's like, well, we were, we've been taught in our culture to show favoritism. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and so he is really kind of turning their value system right side up because the world system is upside down. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. And what we have to do, we need to admit here this this morning as we start this, this sermon, we all deal with certain dynamics of favoritism. It's in us more than we realize. You know, I think if we were honest with ourselves, there's... Certain ways we respond to people that we feel like, oh, they have influence or they have something that we feel like, you know, we should try to measure up. And, and, and I think inside of all, all of us, there is a little bit of some adjustment that needs to happen. And we sometimes do judge books by their cover. We judge people by the externals. And so we're going to look at this passage And it's real easy to take apart. There's just two parts of this passage. Verses 1 through 7 is, why is favoritism wrong? What what is wrong with favoritism? And James is painting that picture. And then verses 8 through 13 just deal with then how to fix it. 
So how do we how do we properly avoid favoritism, not only in the church setting, but throughout our, our entire lives? And so we're going to start in verse 1. Once again, just read that. Because I think what James is doing here is he's setting the standard. And he's saying, okay, what we need to under, understand is favoritism, first of all, is ungodly. And I'll explain that as we go. And let's start in verse 1. It says, my brothers as believers, now notice this. In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's something very significant that he's painting here. Don't show favoritism. You see, I think he's saying, okay, guys, here's the standard. Jesus is the one that we make the big deal out of. He's the one that deserves all the glory and all our praise and all our attention. And he's painting this picture Reminding us, Jesus is the glorious one. And so everything else kind of fades. If we you know, think somebody's really important, that really fades when you match that up to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And not only that, we see where Jesus is the one that shows, truly shows no partiality. And so there's that standard that's being set here. We see similar words in Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God, the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. What we have to ask is, what does God see when God looks at a person? And I think that's a really important question. What does God see? at any person walking this earth. Well, I think we need to be reminded God sees that person as being created in his image that has eternal value. Every person has value. In fact, I believe if there was only one person that needed salvation, Christ would have died for that one person. He died for the whole earth, of course. We all need salvation, But I think if you were the only one who needed salvation, you know how much I think God values you? I think Jesus would have died just for you. That's how personal this is. That's how much God loves each one of us and values every single person. And so that is when we talk about favoritism being ungodly, that's where we fall so short and not having that same value system that God has. And so James goes into... An illustration here, he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, and the, the, the Greek words there would signify several gold rings, and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. In that culture, this this was a big deal. There was a pecking order, especially in the Jewish mindset, where they they had this down. Remember, you know, James and John's mother came to Jesus. She said, can my son sit at your right and left hand? You know, it was a big deal where they sit and in the upper room. The Last Supper was a big deal where everybody sat. And, and so this was 
a, a mindset. But, you know, if you stop and think about it, the church really is truly a melting pot of all kinds of backgrounds and interests and status and, and all. I mean, we really are just open to whoever wants to come and, and just be here. And it doesn't matter what's your background. And we have that. We have people from all kinds of, of backgrounds. I remember years ago, we started pastoring a church down in SeaTac, Angle Lake Neighborhood Church. And it was mostly just Northern Europeans, you know, which I, I am one of those. And, you know, that was fine. But we didn't really reflect the, the community around us. And the way, you know how you tell the community around you? You go to the grocery store. And the people that are local go to the local grocery store. And boy, you know, our, our church was uh, just not reflecting that very well. It's a very, very diverse area. Changed dramatically through the years. And so we actually started praying, God, give us the ability. And we'd watch people come in from different culture groups, kind of look around, and, and they, they wouldn't stick because they just didn't feel like there's anybody that looked like them. And the Lord answered that in an amazing way. We had, um, we had a network official come to me, and he said, we have this church of Fijian families that have been meeting on their own and their own language group, and they want to come in and blend with the church, and, and they're in the Assemblies of God. Would you be open to them coming and being a part of, of your church? It's like, are you kidding me? It's like... Yes, and, and I tell you, it was huge when all of a sudden there's like five of these families that come in, and they were Indian Fijians, they had uh, darker skin, and, and, um, but just the sweetest families you can imagine. And what happened is all of a sudden that became like this, this kind of magnet, and people from all over the world started to come, and it was this great blessing of diversity. And there's just so much strength when the church truly has that. Now, sometimes, you know, it's a bit of a struggle, and, and we try to reach out and try to figure out how to, how to make that happen. And I just say, God, help us to be that kind of uh, drawing church that has the flavors of all the different cultures and groups and backgrounds and the true melting pot of what can happen in the church. There's so much strength in that. And so there's this wonderful picture of the church. And then James goes on, and he kind of explains his illustration in verse 4. He says, favoritism, it says, you have, not, you have, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? Have you not discriminated not only against people, but in other words, you're passing judgment according to your values, and your values devalue others. See, God's values always value others, and sometimes we say, well, this person is not quite as important in my value system, and so our measuring system is, is truly flawed. We just, unless we have the mind of Christ and are filled with him, we are going to tend to sometimes devalue others. It's interesting the word favoritism in the in the Greek kind of the the background of this word means to receive 
And, the, and two words, to receive and face, with face or countenance. In, in other words, literally, to receive by external countenance. That's how we value somebody, just by sizing them up by their appearance. And then James goes on, he says, eh, not only are you uh, discriminating among yourselves, but you are becoming judges with evil thoughts. That's a little bit sobering to realize that we have warped thinking. And so, yes, we are not the best sometimes at being fair and valuing every person. And not only that, we have our own issues to deal with. You know, so here we are kind of casting judgment on others by our external values and not based on God's values, but I have a boatload of my own issues that I'm working through. And so, so yes, let's be honest with ourselves. In this Romans fourteen thirteen, it says, "Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way." And so not only is it ungodly, but it's unwise. We're going to see next in this passage, 5 through 7, it says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? So this was just starting to happen. What James is talking about was true, that there was this movement of persecution, and it speeds up dramatically in the next few years after James writes these words. But... What he's saying is, you, you kind of cater these people who sometimes really are in opposition to what you stand for. It doesn't make any sense. It's unwise to do that. I read once that gossip is what we say behind someone's back that we would never say to their face. Flattery is what we would say to someone's face that we would never say behind their back. <laughs> And so that's that flattery, you know. Oh, you know, I'm going to kind of build you up with my flattering words. And what James is saying is just treat everybody the same. He's not saying treat these, these people poorly and these people highly. It's just treat everybody on equal footing the same. So it really is unwise. I read about a situation that happened many, many years ago. It was the year 1884. A young man died, and the parents um, wanted to do something as a memorial to their son. And so they met with a man by the name of Charles Elliott, the president of Harvard. Elliott received the rather ragged-looking couple in his office and asked what he could do. After they expressed their desire to fund a memorial, Elliott impatiently said, perhaps you have in mind a scholarship. We were thinking of something more substantial than that, perhaps a building. 
In a patronizing tone, Elliot brushed aside the idea of being too expensive, and the couple departed. The next year, Elliot learned that this, this plain pair had gone elsewhere and established a $26 million memorial named Leland Stanford Junior University, today better known as Stanford. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Unwise sometimes to make those external judgments. I remember when uh, Malora and I were young, years and years ago, (laughs) we... We had saved up. We were in Bible college, and I mean, it was oh, it was a struggle trying to make ends meet. You know, when you're in those early years, and we had saved up. I think a grand total of 850 bucks, and that's we were going to buy. We needed to buy a new car, and so we went to the car lot with this money burning a hole in our pocket, ready to ready to buy a car. I mean, it's like we were going to do it. And we were ignored. And we walked around. You know how sometimes you want to be ignored? You know, when you're kind of shopping? Well, in this case, it's like, hey, we're here. We've got 850 bucks. You know, in today's economy, that's worth about a quarter of a million dollars. And so, no, we're not that old. So, yeah, you know, sure, 3,000. But, uh, you know, it was enough to get us going in a little car and... Finally, finally, the salesperson came out. You know, and I, in fact, I think I, I think I went, had kind of chased down somebody. And it's like, well, what do I have to do to get help here? And I think the, the whole thing is, we were dressed pretty casual. It was a Saturday. And I remember it's, you know, Trinity Bible College. And it's farm country. And it's Saturday. And... You know, so we we're just kind of, yeah, I wasn't in my tuxedo that I normally wear on Saturdays. And, and I think he sized us up, thought, yeah, you know, I don't think these kids have any money. And we actually ended up buying a car from him. He said, what can I do to start over? <laughs> yeah, those were smart words. And... And apologize. But, you know, it, it really is unwise for us just to, to size somebody up and cast judgment on what we think is important and what isn't important. And not only that, not only is it missed opportunity, but here's the thing I think is really the heart of this whole issue is when people are marginalized, it causes much more hurt than we realize. Yeah, and there are people in our culture who are marginalized to the extreme. And, you know, we don't have to, to do anything negative to marginalize somebody. You just, you just ignore them. You just don't really give them a whole lot of time and a lot of attention. And, and I'm afraid that sometimes we could walk past somebody that really needs us as the vessel of Christ to love on that person and help them and give them value. And so, you know, and we've all seen the situations where favoritism is played out in a home, and that's so damaging. And um, we could go into a lot of stories on that, but I, I grew up seeing that in my 
cousins where my uncle valued the oldest, where he valued the second son. The first son could do nothing right. The second son could do nothing wrong. And to this day, I still see those two sons playing out the damage from that. And so, so this does play into our lives, I think, more than we realize. And we need to say, that's enough. We've got to stop that. And so we're going to see James turn the corner. And so now he starts to talk about, okay, so how do we fix this? How do we get away from favoritism? And he starts in verse 8, where it's saying, love unconditionally. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scriptures, in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. I love how he calls it the royal law. I mean, it's based on the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That is this royal love, love that Jesus talked about in Matthew 22, loving your neighbor as yourself. We're going to hear more of that also coming up in James, where he repeats this whole idea to love unconditionally as you would want yourself to be cared for and valued that's how we should value others and and so that's a great reminder for us and then he says to come clean in verses 9 through 11 he says but if you show favoritism notice this you sin so it's not just this little flaw that is not that big a deal. He's spelling it out. It says, look, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder, If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And so what James is saying here, in other words, this is not just a little deal that it's a cute little thing here, and then there's real sin over here. This is part of our sin nature to to cast favoritism and devalue other people for different reasons. This This is breaking... God's law. And so what James is trying to to point out here is if you break the law, you break all the law. It's not just a little deal. And this holds true for all of us that we don't take sin lightly. So so James, he has this way of like, (laughs) boom, you know, just kind of going right for the punch. And, and saying, look, guys, you can't just be a small lawbreaker in this. We need to fess up. We need to come clean. We need to realize that this is not just a cute little thing inside of us, that we need a, a total remodel of our lives from God's help. And I love the verse in Deuteronomy. It says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God 
is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, as we read this earlier, except no bribes. And then it goes on. He says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are the aliens or the foreigners, and you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. In other words, that we need to fess up circumcise your hearts and say, you know what? Yeah, there is something in me that is a little bit off and it needs fixed. And there's times, I will confess, there's times that I haven't valued someone as I should. And And sometimes, you know, we just tend to gravitate toward people we know and people we like and hang out with. And and I'm sure that I have walked right past somebody who needed somebody to love on them. And, And so I will confess here before all of us, there's times, yes, there's times I need that grace and I need the Holy Spirit to pour into me the understanding of how valuable every person is. Have you ever just kind of thought, you know, I just have my own agenda, and, and you've missed an opportunity to minister? And then I love, as he turns a corner toward the end here, where he says, remember mercy. Verses 12 and 13, it says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then I love this last part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. Mercy. That's what we should be. Our people of mercy. We are like mercy dispensers. That God has poured into us. I mean how forgiving has Christ been to us. Without his mercy. Without his grace. We have no hope. But we are to forgive others. As Christ has forgiven us. That Christ demonstrated his love for us. Remember, before we were even believers, Christ died for us. That's the value he has placed in us, even in our lostness. That it is grace that we are saved, not of works. It is a gift of God. And so let's remember that mercy that's been poured upon us. Paul reminded those at Corinth, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Uh, Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Aren't you glad for that? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. 
Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it's that whole idea that at the foot of the cross, all ground is level. We are all in the same boat. There's no status. There's no importance. There's, there's no little. There's no big. We're all the same. We're all those who need the mercy of Christ. You know, I think this is addressed so well by James because this is one of the things the church is accused of. Like, well, the church just caters to the, to the wealthy. I thank the Lord that I, we don't, I don't think we do that. In fact, we as pastors, we don't know who gives and who doesn't give. And, you know, we know that there's consistent givers, but I don't want to know that. I want to treat all people the same. And, and everyone has the same value. And, and so that helps us just say every person here I appreciate Pastor Dwayne. This, this he lives this, this passage, doesn't he? I mean, so well. I, I watch him in action, and Pastor Dwayne will talk to people, uh, you know, after a gathering like today, and, and it just doesn't matter. He just kind of works the room and pours value into every person. I appreciate that, uh, being a part of a team that has that as a core value that we are going to go out and find those who are hurting and the downcast that our society might look down upon. And we're going to love them. And we're going to love the wealthy. And we're going to have people from all different strata here. Just as we close, a couple of thoughts. At the quote Tozer, mercy is not something God has, but something that God is. God is filled with mercy. Tozer went on to say, mercy is an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature of God, which disposes him to be actively compassionate. He has always dealt in mercy with mankind and will always deal in justice when his mercy is despised. And so a little bit of a warning there. Remember that blessed are those who are merciful because they will be shown mercy. And so that's a good reminder for us today as we, as we conclude this and head for application. If we want to close, give us an opportunity to respond. I think the application is pretty obvious today. I don't have to give you like 20 ideas of how to apply this. Just stop showing favoritism. That's it. And, and, and realize when we do that, and put value, say, God, give me that understanding of how you value others and let that be lived through me. Let me truly have the mind of Christ. In ourselves, we can't do this. And so if, if you aren't walking in tune with Christ, this is going to be a struggle. But I believe as we walk in tune with what God is saying and doing, I think this will flow from our lives. And I, I've been amazed at how God just works through us and pours value into others. And I, I just want to close with the thought, we, I think we really do well with this area at Shoreline. I think, of course, there's always room for improvement, right? 
But I watch you guys, and you value people that, that come in here. So keep it up. So this is not one of those rocket, you know, rock 'em sock 'em kind of messages. Like you guys are all messed up, and and you better you know straighten up. It's like we're doing pretty good, but I think we can also do a little better in this. And so a couple application thoughts: empathy and mercy are contagious. You know, there's studies that show, like in that video that we saw at the beginning, where there was some people who turned their focus on that young man that was kind of, you know, falling down on the sidewalk. And there was, I watched that a couple times. There was one particular lady who started to walk toward him. And as soon as she did that, it's very subtle, but as soon as she did that, Others joined in. And, and there's all kinds of studies where they've put people there as kind of a, a, you know, a dummy responder and things like that. And if one person responds to a situation like that, it's natural. If one person would have responded to that same, same young man dressed in shabby clothes, then others probably would have followed suit. Others would have come over and said, are you okay? Do you need any help? And so we are the ones... As we are filled with that empathy and mercy of God, we are the ones who should be the first responders. And when we do that, others will respond as well. We change a culture. We change our culture by our values as God changes us. Do you realize that? We're thermostats, right? Does that make sense? Okay, we control what's going on around us. And then... Genuine faith looks and lives beyond the externals. How do we do that? Look at people like God looks at them. And we should ask ourselves that. Lord, show me. Show me. Lead me. Direct me. And everywhere we go, that should be in our minds. God, let me see people like you see them. To think like God thinks toward others. And last, to love impartially requires an acknowledgement of our guilt and an appreciation of God's mercy. Let's do that right now. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy. Lord, your mercy is new every morning. It's fresh. It's alive. It's real. You have covered my sins, Lord, and Lord, I know I have failed you many, many times, and I continue to fail you, but yet your mercy is there for me. And Lord, you've covered me with that, and we should have that same mindset, Lord, toward others to show them mercy, to forgive their sins and their shortcomings, to not put people in categories and stereotypes and judge on externals, Lord, but we should look down into the very heart like you do, Lord, the very soul of a person. And you see the desperation of this world that is calling out for your mercy and grace. And Lord, we are the ones who are called to go to respond. And Lord, I, I want to confess there's times I'm sure I've walked right past a situation where you wanted me to respond to, and I didn't respond. 
And Lord, I'm sure there's somebody here in this church family who's felt slighted or ignored or marginalized for whatever reason. Lord, and forgive us for doing that. Lord, sometimes we're just in too big a hurry. We just need to take time and and look around and, and look for those who need loved on. To treat everyone the same. Lord, that's our goal. Help us to put aside any kind of favoritism. Lord, and give people value like you do. We thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you value us with an eternal value. Thank you, God, that you have poured in everything into my life, your forgiveness, your love, your mercy. Lord, a fresh start with you. God, and I just pray that that I would demonstrate that mercy every day and how I think and how I respond to people and how I act. Lord, that we swim in your mercy and we certainly need to extend that all the time. It conquers everything. Thank you for this word today. God, that you help us to grow and just be more in tune with you, more in tune with others. Help us to do that in expanding ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.